I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. Here at the Early Education Show, we're aware that early education services and professionals have not had detailed advice from health departments or education departments about exactly what infection control processes services should be following during the COVID-19 or coronavirus outbreak. As Leanne and Lisa and I are not infection control experts, we decided to ask someone who is. Kylie Warren Wright is Good Start Early Learning's National Safe Work and Wellbeing Manager and she's responsible for giving health and safety advice to over 650 early education services. Lisa contacted her to discuss how we can stay healthy at work during a pandemic. Before we go to that interview, we did want to let everyone know that we've kind of thrown out the normal release schedule. The current situation is like nothing we've ever faced before as professionals, and information is important. We'll be releasing episodes as we can, probably more often than fortnightly. We're going to try and edit them quickly and get them out as soon as possible. If there's particular questions you'd like us to tackle, or if you think there's particular people we should be talking to, let us know. We're on Facebook and Twitter, or you can email us at earlyedgeshow at gmail.com. But from all of us, we know you're working hard out there. We know you're feeling worried. We know you wish there was more hard information from the federal government. So do we. We're here with you, and we will continue to be. Now, let's hear from Lisa and Kylie. Hello, this is Lisa Bryant, and I have with me today Kylie Warren-Wright. Hello, Kylie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Kylie is um, works for Good Start, and the position she fills at Good Start is the National Safe Work and Wellbeing Manager. And that sounds um, very, you know, high and mighty, but I'll tell you why Kylie... Is it Kylie? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'll tell you why we've got Kylie on the podcast at the moment. We know that a lot of services, especially standalone services that don't necessarily have the resources of our larger providers, are struggling to find the information they need about um, about COVID-19 in general, but specifically about how to keep themselves and their children and their staff safe. It's, you know, there's lots of information out there, but it takes a lot of research and we don't all have the time and we know that you don't all have the time to do that research. But we also know that generally this sector is very good at things like infection control. Would you agree with that, Kylie? Absolutely. I think it's, you know, it's something as a sector we should be really proud of. Um, and it's something that we do that I think some other businesses, even the, you know, the school system are grappling to come to terms with. And we're quite lucky that it's just part of our everyday business. So yay to the early education and <laughs> care sector, eh? Absolutely. Um, uh, but look, one of the things I want to say is I really want to thank Good Start for lending you to us for this episode because, you know, I'm sure that you're very busy informing your own 
um, your own staff what to do. Uh, but, you know, it really will help those standalone services if they can just get some expertise from someone who's more than qualified to do it. So thank you and thank you to Good Start for, you know, for lending us to you today. Now, can you talk to me about one of the key things, I think, in this, which is the difference between a direct and a casual contact with someone that's got COVID-19? Sure. So this is something that comes up quite a lot as a question for us um, at Good Start as well. And so direct contact is where you've been in contact with someone face to face for more than 15 minutes. So a really intense conversation um, or that you've been in an enclosed room uh, for more than two hours. So there has to be some, you know, as I said, really close contact happening there for that exposure. Um, casual contact, though, is that less than 15 minutes. So if you think about it in our context, it's actually where um, you might have families doing that drop-off in the morning. So they come in and they come out. They're there for less than 15 minutes. Uh, and you don't have that intensity of in- sort of face-to-face engagement. For sure. So what, um, you know, like give me, would you say that, you know, um, children and educators are having direct contact? So children and educators are having direct contact and I think the really tricky piece with children and, you know, if you, if I think back to Brendan Murphy's sort of present piece on um, Sunday night, they're not really sure why, but what they are seeing is that there's not transfer between children and there's not transfer, I guess, from what children to adults. And I guess the really, the real, real focus for us in early learning is actually the engagement between our adults. So educator to educator um, and educator to members of the public and educator to families. So I think that's our sort of our key area we're looking at. Okay, so that's kind of hard. That's a bit hard for us to get around because we're thinking of children and we're used to thinking of children and babies as these very efficient disease carriers. But in fact, as far as this goes, maybe they're not. Exactly. So in actual fact, it's like the reverse of everything that we've been taught um, when it comes to children and children being those super spreaders. And I think there's not enough evidence out there, but, you know, the really key focus for us right now is how we try to support and manage educators in their peer-to-peer conversation and what social distancing or physical distancing actually looks like in the early learning setting. Okay, so that's a good point for us to go to next, I think. But just before we do, you know, I think it's important that we need to emphasise that although children and babies may not be, um, you know, transmitting COVID-19, they've still got all that usual stuff happening. (laughs) They do. Um, and I think it's it's a worry for parents and for our people um, in the sector because no one can really answer the question about what the role of children is in this space. So um, it is a bit of an unknown, but 
you know the yeah I guess that big focus is on um, the the adults in the in the setting. Okay, so let's talk about the adults. How do they protect themselves from other adults, from parents, from other staff? Is it you know like do we need to ban all parents from entering our centres? <laughs> uh, I think so. There's been some lots of mixed, um, I guess, ways people are trying to manage the extra adults in the centre. Um, and I'd probably take you back to what we were talking about with direct and casual contact. So, as I said, where parents are coming in, they're there for less than 15 minutes. It's actually a very limited time frame. Now, what I have seen is where some centres have implemented um, where parents actually do drop off in reception. Um, and while I can understand why they might have implemented something like that, I also think about what many early learning centres look like. And, you know, where we don't have the large purpose-built centres, those foyers are actually quite small spaces. So potentially what we're actually doing with that practice is increasing a large volume of people in a small space where because they might be there for longer we're actually shifting what could be casual contact into direct contact and you know if we have a direct contact situation um, what that means is the centre would have to close the next day because our public health units would then need to consider how many people were in the foyer um, who might they have had contact with and do those people actually need to then be um, quarantined and excluded. So there's really larger health implications for some of those practices. So, you know, um, and we really need to think about the physical and social distancing. So being able to keep people 1.5 metres apart where we can, you know, if you can't achieve those types of measures in your foyer, it's something I'd really say to take a step back and have a think about the unintended consequence of what is a really well-meaning but um, potentially um, problematic um, practice. And what about things like, you know, parents wash, like setting up hand washing stations for parents outside of the centre before they come in? Any point in that? Um, look, I think, um, so hand washing stations are great. Uh, I think, again, though, to the piece around volume of families that we have come into our centres, um, we, we're using hand sanitizer. Um, and the reason for that is that it's effective in the time frame that the parent is in the centre. It allows us to keep that flow moving, which, as I mentioned, you know, it means we're not having people grouping um, or creating that physical distancing problem. Um, so hand sanitizer is certainly, it's a better way to help us keep the flow moving, but it also means um, less hands um, in terms of cleaning um, for bathrooms where people are, are doing hand washing. Okay, so fess up, where did Good Start get the hand sanitizer? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, um, it, it has been, um, I know, I think supplies are really challenging and, you know, where we're coming, you know, at the beginning of saying we should be really proud as a sector because we have great infection control, um, people do feel a bit compromised because hygiene supplies are becoming hard to get. Um, 
And I, you know, one thing that we have seen success in is where businesses are starting to have people work from home. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to them and say, do you have toilet paper, paper towel or hand sanitizer, hand wash that we can have? Because um, it's a community problem. It's not just a problem for one business. That makes sense. And maybe if if schools are actually closed too, they could be asked to hand on their supplies to early education care centres. That's actually a great idea, Lisa. Um, I think the education department could really help in that space if they've, they've got supplies. I know they've also had difficulty, um, but it's just if people have stock, um, it's, there is no harm in asking whether they'd be willing to share. Um, you know, where we've passed the point of being able to prevent it. Um, I think we're all in this together now to stop and slow the spread and sort of, you know, you see that term flatten the curve. Um, early learning's got an amazing opportunity to help do that um, without, you know, the practices that we have in place. Um, one thing I would say about hand sanitizer is you know, it's really important to actually check what you're using. So you need to have 60% alcohol or more. So, you know, there's quite a few out there that aren't at that level. Um, and that is the level that we need to be using to be getting any value from a hygiene perspective. Yeah, I've noticed a lot being sold without any labels on them whatsoever and because it feels gel-like on your hands doesn't necessarily mean it's sanitizer. <laughs> Not saying that any shops would try and capitalise on this, but... <laughs> Okay, so what about, let's talk about cleaning because, like, I'm sure by now we all know how to wash our hands. Services have known how to do this for a while and I think we know it even more. But, like, things like gloves are becoming in short supply and also some of the cleaning products we use. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an issue in itself, but also I know that despite the fact that we're really good at this stuff um in general sometimes our policies say one thing about surface cleaning and our practices kind of get a bit slack over time and it's not you know exactly the same so can you tell us how to clean i can so um you know, sometimes I think the best way to consider what cleaning looks like is to think about if you had um, something like a gastro uh, outbreak at your centre. So you really need to start thinking about where are all the places that people touch all the time? Um, And this is a great team exercise to actually go through and look at Where are all the places people touch? Um, You know, what are the times of the day that we have lots of traffic coming through? So that pick up and drop off. Um, And being committed to actually going through and cleaning those touch points. So the normal detergents that you use straight out of staying healthy um, are what we should be continuing to use now. Um, I would encourage everyone to try and stock up on bleach Um, If they can, I know it's been something that um, has been a little bit hard to get, like everything, Um, but bleach is actually a really good fallback um, if detergent supply becomes a problem for you. Um, But 
I think the really important bit around cleaning is the policies that we have in place to sort of move us through, you know, pass an A&R as an example, um, they are what is going to stand us in good stead right now. So, you know, now more than ever, it's actually getting those out and making sure every team member understands how to clean and when to clean. Um, so if you think about as I said, the gastro outbreak, anything that children are mouthing with frequently, uh, with frequency, those are the things we actually want to be cleaning. So, you know, if you've got um, lots of fabric um, in your room, thinking about what can you wash easily versus where you've got things that you can't wash easily, it now might be the time to put those away if you can do that um, and not leave your, your room actually being quite empty. Um, but starting to think through those pieces. Um, and, you know, I guess now is not the time to be, you know, there's lots of pieces out there where people are promoting products and saying you need these things to be COVID-19 free and minimise your risk. Um, what I would say to you is don't be dazzled by all the products out there. You keep using the products that you have right now because those are the ones that public health knows, know that they work. Um, and, you know, and when we start to distract our staff from the things that they know and do, um, that's where we tend to see problems, be them problems um, coming out because we're so distracted by things. Um, you know, we could see more injuries to children or supervision style issues. So where we can keep routine um, and following our, our practices that we all know, um, the better likelihood we have of being able to manage our hygiene problems. Absolutely. Um I think that that what you've just said about you know trying not to disrupt staff so much is really important because if everyone's running around trying to learn new processes and new ways of mixing new products, then that's where it's likely to fall down. Yeah. Um, do, I've been telling people to if they've got a good policy to go back to their infection control policy and, and reread it and recirculate it to staff, but also to go back to the Bible, staying healthy in childcare. Is that what you're like? Are you, do you recommend people have a reread of that just to refresh themselves? Absolutely. So um, it is the Bible. Um, it's, you know, it forms the foundation of every um, services policies. Um, so now is the time to be looking at infection control and um, in there, but particularly, as I said, go back and read the gastroenteritis pages because as lots of the practices that they want you to put in place around cleaning for that are very similar to what we need to do here. Um, and it crosses over into practice as well when we think about gastro. So, um, if you think about infection, where we want, what we want to try and do is begin to minimise, I guess, what that crossover looks like uh, between children and rooms. So, you know, you would want you want to try and limit the um, interaction between children's rooms, and the reason for that is because if there is an infection in one, 
um, for example, or someone's symptomatic, you limit the impact of that on other rooms. So thinking about, you know, those opportunities where you do have crossover, so family grouping in the morning, um, meal times, shared bathrooms and outdoor play, uh, those are most commonly times when sort of rooms or groups of children cross over. So really thinking about practice and routine and how you can flow those so the two groups um, don't have as much crossover. And there's some other advantage to that as well. So when I was talking earlier about direct contact, um, if there's a confirmed case at your centre, the first thing public health will do is want to understand who that person came into contact with. So if we've been able to minimise the crossover between rooms, we greatly reduce the impact on children, families and staff because we've already limited other people in the direct contact pool. So it's that piece about how we begin to keep everybody safe. Um, so where we just, as I said, limit the crossover, um, we reduce opportunity for it to be direct contact and move it into casual contact. And when there's casual contact, um, there's, depending on the public health unit, they may not actually require people to be isolated. So it really depends then um, on if we limit contact, it can actually mean the difference between having to close a whole centre um, or having just to close one room. Um, and, so and that's really important because I know there was a lot of anger and even union action about a centre that did have a positive case that clo only closed for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I knew at the time that it was immediate beat-up because they were following Department of Health guidelines, so it must have been that everyone within that centre was defined as casual contact, so there was no reason to self-isolate the staff, etc., and yeah. I think that that's where accurate information can kind of stop panic a bit. Yes, I completely agree. Um, and you know, it's much easier to explain to families and educators as well if we're we're changing our practices like this because, on the off chance someone did become symptomatic, we've really limited down the amount of people that can be affected. Um, and I know that's consistent with, you know, advice that um, the Department of Education in Victoria released yesterday, trying to, like, really think about limiting those crossover opportunities so we can contain infection in one space. And that helps us keep everyone safe then. Um, just before we get off surface cleaning, I just want to remind everyone that one of the things that Staying Healthy emphasises is the importance of elbow grease as an actual, um, you know, an actual component of your cleaning. <laughs> um, can you just explain, I know I've read some really interesting things about why it is that soap or bleach, et cetera, what they actually do to this virus that looks like this, you know, an uh, uh, ultra scary thing with multiple heads. <laughs> huh? um, I think those products are, I guess, proven to 
to break down um, that type of, I guess, the type of bacteria or disease that we're dealing with. And and you're right about the good old elbow grease. Um, it isn't just a cursory wipe over. Um, you really need to be paying attention to where you're wiping and the effort that you're putting in. Um, and the products that are recommended in Staying Healthy are the ones that are most effective at dealing with this type of, I guess, this type of disease. Cool. Um, look, I just want to throw something in here and it's something that I'm quite angry about. The Australian Health Protection Principal Committee, which is basically the big mothers around this whole disease, it's the main you know, group organising something, put out a statement on the 18th of March. Now, I've lost track of days. I don't know when the 18th of March was, but I think it was like last week sometime. Is that right? It was last Wednesday, so almost a week ago. And they specifically had a, a section on um, early child, early what they call childcare centres. And I'm just going to read you a key piece of that advice. I've shared this a bit on social media. But why I'm angry about it is because the head, you know, kahunas told us about it and that information wasn't distributed by any government department down to centres. But what they said was... Um, they consider that childcare centres are essential services and should continue at this time, but with risk mitigation measures in place. These should include exclusion of unwell staff, children and visitors, reduce mixing of children by separating cohorts, including the staggering of meal and playtimes, which is much as what you've said, enhance personal hygiene for children, staff and parents, which is what you've said, full adherence to the NHMRC childcare cleaning guidelines, that's the body that wrote staying healthy in childcare, excursions other than to local parks should be discouraged, and influence of vaccination for children, staff and parents. Now, they've also said there may need to be consideration of alternative arrangements for highly vulnerable children. And AHPC recommends these parents seek medical advice. Kylie, have you got any recommendations for vulnerable children or also vulnerable staff? Sure. So I think, you know, if I think about who is vulnerable right now, I know certainly at Good Start we have a list of who we think those people are. Um, at the top of our list is um, our staff um, and children um, who have sort of chronic lung disease. So um, people who have severe asthma, who have had emphysema as an adult, um, but anyone who has a chronic respiratory disease are someone that we bucket as sort of the people we want to care about and focus on the most. Um, and that is because this is a respiratory disease. So um, those people are the ones most likely to have, particularly in, in the adult space, um, longer term um I guess, implications for them, um, and they're most at risk of hospitalisation. Um, there hasn't been a lot of information actually about vulnerable children um, other than that, you know, there's encouragement for families to review their asthma action plans that they have in place and put risk minimisation um, into place. But I, 
I actually think focusing on our vulnerable staff members is really important. So um, what what we have put in place, uh, and we only talked through it with our teams yesterday, was around what you can do to protect um, vulnerable staff. So what what we've talked about is limiting exposure for vulnerable staff members. So vulnerable we've classed as anyone who's aged over 60, um, someone with a chronic medical condition, a person with an autoimmune disease, um, and people that have high-risk pregnancies. So they're sort of our group of people that we're really focused on making sure they're okay. Um, and we've we've talked to our, our teams about limiting exposure for those people to members of the public, um, including families. So looking at rosters and saying, you know, can I roster this person in a different way so that they don't have to have contact with families and members of the public. Um, thinking about where you're setting up practice um, in your centre and you're running indoor-outdoor programs, um, can you actually roster, um, put those those team vulnerable team members on the outdoor program, which means they're outside in well-ventilated areas? Um, and really beginning to think about, I guess, um, that you touched on unwell children, making sure that you, you are actually following through where you have unwell children, unwell staff members, because, um, you know, we have good policies as a sector around how we're supposed to exclude those children. And sometimes it gets a bit tricky because families need to go to work um, and they may not be open with us about their child having a temperature or they gave them Panadol before they came in um, to help reduce their temperature. And it's a terrible place to be in as a parent. Um, but we often find educators sometimes in the same boat as well. So they bring their own children in because um, they need to come to work because there's no backup um, or um, they don't have leave entitlements. So it's we're having to be much more firmer as a as a sector um, with these families around we're not doing this because we're trying to make it difficult for you, but we do actually need to protect everyone. Um, so we have we've put together a list um, for our people, um, and if they are vulnerable actually giving that to them to take to their doctors um, and have their doctor have a look at it and go, yep, the what you've put in place is really good um, or I'd like you to try and do these extra things for these people um, so that we can make sure they're okay at work. Cool. Um, can I... Oh, sorry, I've just had a bit of a brain freeze there. Sometimes, yeah, you're trying to think of so many possibilities <laughs> with education and care at the one, um, you know, at the one minute that you can't kind of get your thoughts into order. <laughs> is there other, you know, is there, is there other things that you think that we've missed so far that services, you know, really need to be thinking about? Oh, so I have a look through my list of pieces I wrote down. Um, I think it's 
you know, I'm I'm quite happy to share with people, you know, that, you know, the letter we've written for supporting vulnerable staff um, and the checklists that we're developing to um, support our um, support our own teams in what their cleaning looks like. Um, that think, would be great. Thank you yeah, very much. There's a, I think there's a really important piece around feeling proud and feeling confident right now about, you know, we, and we talked about that infection control. It's, it is an advantage um, that our sector has um, and it's because it is well established, albeit sometimes to your point earlier, we do get a little bit soft on um, on our cleaning practices. Um, if we have all those pieces moving, that stands us in really good stead in terms of stopping the spread within our own centres. Um, and being confident to say, oh, I, I am really sorry, but your child isn't able to be here or I am really sorry, you know, to an educator, you aren't well and I can't have you here. Um, if I, I think about our vulnerable staff, they feel they feel guilty um, that their colleagues, you know, there are, and I've, you know, I had a conversation as early as this morning with someone who has a, a, a really challenging medical condition, um, they feel guilty that they're letting their colleagues down because they are a bit more vulnerable and they do need to make changes. Um, and I, what I would say is please be kind at this point in time. Um, we need to come together as a community. Um, you know, we've our own cooks have had um, difficulty accessing food and have had members of the public be... Um, a little unkind to them because they've, they've got lots of food in their trolley. And we've actually this week resorted to what, what we've called trolleys of kindness. Um, and our people have put signs, our cooks have put signs on their trolleys that are saying, be kind. Um, I'm actually getting food for 90 children at an early learning centre. Um, and what we've actually found is it's creating really great conversation in the community about how we can be or be a little bit um, kinder. And, you know, that's something if if we there are other early learning centres out there in the same boat, I think that's something we found that worked for us, you know, really drawing attention to what we're doing and why we might have seven bags of pasta. Um, but, you know, also being brave enough to say to families, we know you're used to a particular standard of nutritional food from us, but... Right now, this is the situation we're in. And while we're doing our absolute best, um, please be patient with us because it might mean that we are going to have sandwiches two days this week. Um, you know, not being afraid to call that out. Um, and, you know, well-being, mental, mental health and well-being is a big topic in our centres. And I think we're still grappling with that. And I know you know, a couple of episodes ago, you had um, the lovely team that are working on the Early Childhood Educator Wellbeing Project. Um, this is a really important time to be looking after yourself. So, you know, if you as an organisation have um, EAP, so that Employee Assistance Program, um, put those calls in and get that support. Um, if you don't, aren't, aren't a larger service, um, find somewhere like 
lifeline like Red Cross who can actually and you know give those phone numbers to your people because um, educators are anxious. They don't know what's happening. Um, you know, Lisa, I know you you talk about it a, a lot on Twitter and, and in regards to the anxiety that's there about, you know, what happens if our centres close um, for the education sector that, you know, there's a safety net there, but um, there's a gap for our sector um, and that's making people really worried right now. So looking after yourself and getting that um, extra professional support um, is something that we really need to be um, promoting right now. And I think that um, Be Kind can also extend to families as well. Um, I, I remembered what it was I wanted to ask, which was what do you think about those services that are temperature che uh, checking every child before they enter the service? Is that needed or is that a step too far? Um, I think that, again, um, like the, the FOIA piece, I absolutely understand um, why people are doing that. Um, what I would say to you is this is a shared responsibility with families. So talking to families about the need um, to check their own child's temperature as well in the morning um, and really that, you know, help us help you aspect um, with families. So, again, just thinking about if you are doing that, um, are you creating um, a... You, are you disrupting the flow of families being able to come in and come out? Um, and if you, you know, if you are doing that on entry, you know, are you actually finding that children are having high temperatures or not? So if you're not thinking about, um, again, well-intentioned and that's what families are looking for, um, but is, I guess, children have lots of, varying temperatures and often run a little bit higher so you know I'm not saying don't do it I'm just saying it might be one of those things that are disrupting routine and can add to add to other issues and it's um for us it's not something that we are actually we're actually doing so we've opted to manage it throughout the day like we normally do um being really proactive with being alert and aware for children who are you know they're listless or not being themselves um, over over the temperature checking because realistically most children um, that are turning up are quite well and it's an additional burden that you're placing on the on the center so you know to each their own um, if it's working for you and it makes you um, feel more comfortable in how you're running your service um, but for us we made that decision that um, we didn't want to have that lineup or grouping or problem um, of where we moved from casual contact into direct contact with families. So that was a driver um, and appealing to our families about checking their children's temperature before they come in in the morning. So, again, if you can manage it in your service, that's great. Um, but what I would say to other people is if you don't have capacity to do it, please don't feel like you have to. Yeah, I, I think, yep, that's reasonable. And also I think we need to remember what kind of messages we're giving children with a lot of this too. Um, you know, children don't have the cognition to understand why the world has suddenly changed. And if adults are, are 
uh, having emotional issues around how the world suddenly changed, then doing that with limited cognition is, you know, makes it even harder. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it, it can be concerning for children when, you know, that the adults in their life, be it at home um, or be it in our centre, have heightened anxiety. Um, regular routine is really important for them as well. Um, so th- where we have disruption and changes in service um, or practice anxiety, particularly when you can't rationalise um, uh, with a small child as well about why you might be doing that. Yeah, for sure. Listen, Kylie, I've, you know, I've learned, a, 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 I want to say a, S-H-I-T, but I can't say that word. I've learned an enormous amount. I've got my language back again. I've learned an enormous amount from you through this session. Um, is there anything else you want to say? Otherwise, can I just thank you enormously? You know, I think, I think one of the things that we've found through this is we can't necessarily rely on the government to give us the answers, to make things right for us in times like this. But where we have expertise, the freely giving of that expertise can help many other people. So thank you. On behalf of the podcast, thank you. You're, you're so very welcome. Um, and I, as I said, happy to share um, that information as we finish building it. Um, I can... You know, we can, I think we could put it on our um, external facing good start on the internet. Okay, site that if people you also could just send it to it. me, we can put it in our show notes so that people listening to the podcast can go straight to it as well. Perfect. Great. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Um, no, other than that, um, have faith in yourself. Um, you do an incredibly hard role as educators um, and you have really good practices and now is not the time to doubt yourself. Um, you're a highly valued members of the workforce um, and do amazing things. Um, and, you know, when it starts to get a little bit hard, you should remember that you are the backbone of many families' lives and the real constant for many children. Um, and you should feel incredibly proud of that. Hear, hear. <laughs> Thank you, Kylie Warren-Wright from the, Nas- the National Safe Work and Wellbeing Manager of Good Start Early Learning. Thank you. No problem. You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.